0: we'll be discussing Theranos, Bad Blood, and Elizabeth Holmes. Hello and welcome to Think Compliance, brought to you by Compliatric and Ahmed Saleem. My name is Dagmar Austin, I'm happy to be co hosting this podcast with you, Ahmed.
1: Hey Dagmar, happy
0: to be here. So for our new listeners, Think Compliance was created in order to assist compliance professionals in building their program. During every podcast, we will discuss a new compliance issue and provide insight on how to ensure your organization is following best practices. And now it's important to note that the information provided in our podcasts are the opinions of our presenters. It should not be considered legal advice. If you have any questions, you can hit us up on Twitter, Think Comply or on LinkedIn. Let's get started. Ahmed, this is a tough one.
1: This is an exciting one. So, uh, a few years ago I actually saw the documentary about Theranos on HBO with uh, Elizabeth Holmes and I found it fascinating. And I apologize, uh, my, my poor child that's 15 months is at home and crying, so hopefully it's not too disturbing.
0: Not a problem.
1: Um, But it's just fascinating. So Dagmar mentioned that she wanted to do a podcast now that there's a you know trials actually going on. So I uh grabbed the book as well, which the documentary was kind of based on and read the book and there's so much more in the book than there is a documentary. So super excited to talk about this.
0: I remember, I don't know, maybe four years ago, um my housemate coming home, she works a she's a data scientist in the biotech field. And she just could not stop talking about this topic. And I've read everything I could. I've listened to all the podcasts. I'm, you know, watching every Tuesday to get an update on the, you know, how the trial's going in Palo Alto. It's, it is fascinating. I don't even know where to start because there's so much information about this. I mean,
1: <laughs> as, a, as a joke, but at the same time, who knows? If you watched the documentary, you read the book, you know that Theranos is very litigious. So
0: definitely please do not do not send what is his name um her uh, shark attack lawyer david uh, boys I can't his last name. boys yeah <laughs> please do not send him to my front door um there are a couple aspects of this you know and how we can relate it to i think what our listeners are interested in mostly is compliance i mean can you kind of give us an overview of what happened in case of you know listeners who are not familiar with the story
1: Yeah, so Elizabeth Holmes uh, created this idea of essentially a blood testing machine, essentially a full lab, based on the notion that she was always afraid of needles, and she thought, why did we have to give so much blood to test? She felt it was medieval, archaic, and borderline torturous. So she came up with this patent idea where a finger prick was all the blood that you needed to conduct several hundreds of lab tests that required full vials of blood testing. I mean, it was a it was a really compassionate story. The way that she spoke, the, you know, the way that she eloquently uh, told the story of her uncle. Um, she mentioned she had an uncle who passed away due to being sick. And if they had something like this, that could have, you know, proactively looked for a disease, or even so much, the fact that during you know the tail end of the disease, it was so hard to extract blood. It kind of encouraged her and led her to, you know, come up with this idea of just a finger prick of blood sampling. All
0: right. So she had that idea. She was a, um, you know, kind of famously dropped out of Stanford at 19. You know, wore her black turtlenecks, uh, emulating Steve Jobs, uh, and started Theranos in Palo Alto. And um, I think she was on the cover of Forbes, etc. She was, you know, the um, she was the I don't know the youngest self-made billionaire. You know, I mean, it was all over the place. I think in like 2012, 2013.
1: She was was the it person, right? In the late 2000s, early 2010s. I mean, she was the person. And if you watched her speak, you couldn't help but kind of fall into this, uh, you know, spell of how she made you feel. She was a great speaker. She was focused. She wouldn't blink. She had the Steve Jobs, Bill Gates aura. Every single important person in Silicon Valley. There are politicians. I mean, there are a lot of important people. I mean, this is an individual who is friends with Hillary Clinton, Chelsea Clinton. Joe Biden visited the plant. You know, Obama's. Uh, you know, it was just a lot of powerful people on this individual side that really helped carry the narrative that this was a actual product, a successful product, and one that was going to kind of evolutionize how we take blood. It's
0: going to change the world
1: her idea seems amazing taking a droplet of blood mixing it with chemicals to be able to perform whatever drug test oh, sorry blood tests that were needed the problem was there were so many errors with the machine it was just the way that she wanted these machines created to be such a small size it was basically improbable for these engineers to figure it out and this led to them slowly starting to use machines that were already on the market lie to their investors lie to their board and really start uh, you know, hiding the fact that they weren't actually as great as they were, they didn't really have a product, and they were really being suspicious and shady with uh, the way they're running their day-to-day.
0: Um, I remember, I think, one passage from John Kerry was, um, you know, these big-time investors would come into the office, they'd lead them into a conference room, um, they'd take a pinprick of blood, uh, and then give a tour to the guests of the rest of the office, and then apparently um, I recall reading that they would, um, you know, pretend to put the the samples into the I think it was called the the Edison this little
1: the Edison yes they essentially would have a video playing pre-recorded that made it look like the machine was, you know, testing the samples. It, like, as you said, they'd walk these VIPs out, someone from the lab would quickly run in, grab the blood samples, they'd run the test by the time these individuals came back from lunch, voila!
0: They were running a video?
1: Yeah, so the idea is there was a, this the video image, whatever it was, on the Edison or on their screen that kind of showed what was going on inside the machine. And it essentially was a mislead to the investors thinking that that was a live look into the actual machine doing its work when in fact it wasn't. It was a pre-recorded session of one of the times that the machine worked that they just played over and over again. Um, and you know, kind of the high level picture of this, right, is would, would this really happen? Does this happen? Yes. How did they get away with this for so long? How did they get billions and billions of dollars in funding? How, how, did, they, how did Elizabeth Holmes become the cover woman for basically every single entrepreneur magazine in Silicon Valley? Theranos was considered the unicorn and so forth. And there's a couple aspects to it. And first and foremost, they prevented people from speaking up. There were powerful people who were backing Theranos. You know, you had organizations like Walgreens, Safeway, their CEOs fighting each other to get the product, worried that any negative energy from anyone on their staff towards Elizabeth Holman or her staff would jeopardize a contract where they thought if they had this machine, it would essentially save Safeway's business and separate long rooms from CVS. Well, that type of pressure for business, as we all know in the compliance world, creates this idea of business over ethics. That was part of this whole inability to speak up for a lot of people within you know, these different organizations.
0: So that concept of business over ethics, it even filter down to say walgreens and safeway employees were trying to get that contract
1: yeah so it was interesting it was either a consultant for walgreens or safeway that was hired to essentially look at the machine with their expertise right someone with background and the organization prevented them right they told this individual stop asking questions you're really getting theranos angry and we can't afford to lose this contract like i said walgreens and Safeway were convinced that this technology was going to save their business, was going to put their business into a different realm. Walgreens and Safeway both invested money into developing clinics that were called essentially Theranos clinics. They were retrofitting their current shops to put little rooms in where someone could come in, they could get blood tested. The Theranos, rapid lab worker, whoever would take that and essentially analyze the blood. I mean, it was it was hundreds of millions of dollars potentially for both organizations combined to retrofit and do the changes they needed. And they started spending that money before they started realizing that this technology wasn't actually sound.
0: Their argument was, you know, that these are trade secrets, right?
1: Yeah, they were very good at being litigious, as I mentioned in the beginning. They had this very high-profile lawyer named David Boyce. Um, please don't come after me. I am just a simple, individual, regurgitating what I said, but, um, you know, anytime anyone would say anything, they'd come at them with everything they had. Uh, you know, I mentioned a consultant that was working on the outside. They were significantly worse to anyone within their organization that had any negative energy. I mean, you're talking about NDAs and NDAs, threatening lawsuits, really threatening to make someone go bankrupt and really ruin their lives. So much so that, you know, there is a culture of people leaving, but one of their individuals ended up committing suicide. And if you read the Cario book, you'll, you'll read a really sad story of one of their employees that kind of went through a really tough time. And, um, you know, it, it's just inexcusable behavior. And we always talk about this idea of it's always easy to preach this idea of speaking up. But to be in a position where you're supporting your, your, your livelihood, you have a family, You know, you feel like the world's against you because you're going against this high-priced lawyer, the CEO, the COO, and everything else. I get it. It's tough. And, you know, Theranos is a picture-perfect case study on what not to do in ethics.
0: So let's talk about, you know, the whistleblowers here. Um, We've talked about this, you know, before, how hard it is to speak up. Why don't people speak up more? Um, And in this case, the major whistleblower was um, Tyler Schultz. Correct.
1: Yeah, there was Tyler Schultz and an individual in the lab. Her name was Erica, and I apologize; I don't, I don't recall her last name. So those are the two individuals that whistle blew inside. On the outside, uh, Theranos was getting an army contract, and uh, if you're familiar with Joint Chief of Staffs, General Mattis was uh, an individual that was on Theranos board, and he was, you know. Part of the process of the United States service getting you know lab testing in Afghanistan and making sure that we could get results immediately, and he was enchanted by this idea. And one of the individuals in charge of you know ensuring that this technology was right, LTC Shoemaker, right outside individual, tried to report up. This individual got flagged, and you know was someone kind of lowly on the totem pole of things was told to fly out to go meet General Mattis to explain why he was saying such negative things, which is a very scary thing to do for an individual to go against kind of this four-star general. So, I mean, we had potential whistleblowers on the outside. We had whistleblowers who prevented from speaking on the inside until they eventually got the ability to do so. And Schultz, Tyler, as you mentioned, his grandfather was on the board, one of the leaders on the board, and this whistleblowing and affected their relationship. Um, his grandfather, you know, clearly sided with Elizabeth, felt like the technology was there, felt like Tyler just didn't get it. And eventually Tyler's family got sued. His parents had to put up a half a million dollars for his legal defense. Um, and, you know, he lost his relationship with his uh, with his grandfather, really.
0: In response to, I think it was John Kerry's uh, Wall Street Journal podcast, uh, he did write a letter saying he how much he admired uh, Tyler Schultz and how he was such a great example, um, you know, of what a um, what the best person you can be uh, in the family is. So that was that was kind of nice to read that that letter. Um, but yeah, I, I I keep on thinking about this, you know, I mean, we might speak up about things in health care, you know, maybe a billing issue, maybe Maybe there's workplace violence, sexual harassment, something. But I can't imagine, you know, if my grandfather was on the board of this, you know, innovative, um, you know, billion-dollar company, I can't imagine going forward uh, and trying to speak, So, what are your, th- I mean, if if he didn't, if Tyler Schultz didn't have, you know, um, a family to put up half a million dollars or so, or you know, in your defense, could he have done it?
1: I mean, yeah, I think it's a great question. It just depends on how he wants to feel financially, right? I mean, eventually he's going to lose and there's going to be some sort of judgment against him for money he doesn't have. But, you know, it's it's just beyond tragic that he had to go through this. And unfortunately, this is what we do for a living. And I would agree, his courage to speak up. And I know other people spoke up and I understand that um, you know, other people were forced and got you know, bullied into not speaking up. Um, you know, Tyler and Erica, they both continued to fight. She used the government hotline to report, which led to investigation. Tyler was the source for John Carrio and his article. And it, it just speaks volumes to this idea of how difficult it truly is to speak up and really report without this fear of retaliation. I mean, we talk about retaliation in the sense of losing your job, but now you're talking about retaliation in the sense of losing a relationship with a grandfather, losing your parents a half a million dollars, losing your job, losing your ability to really just function, and it's just really scary.
0: My understanding is if you're going to, if you're preparing to, you know, um, go forward with whistleblowing in this manner, um, there's like a Whistleblower Protection Act from the Dodd-Frank Act, is it, mean
1: yeah, and every organization should have this policy. Obviously, if Theranos did not. They would benefit it with the compliance professional, but essentially, any good faith reported suspected noncompliance is going to have some sort of protection, right? And you know, the difficult thing about this, and I don't want to ruin too much of this, because I'm hoping some of our listeners go back and watch the documentary, read the book. But you know, when Theranos termed or an employee, left, they did everything they could to ensure that every document and any digital trace of any information related to their company was not taken outside of company doors, um. So it's hard to really prove stuff if you don't have the documentation to prove it. Uh, so just a lot of a lot of factors into this. But I hope I hope our listeners get a chance to either read the book or watch the documentary or kind of read the case read the, about the case in the news since the trial is going on. But it's really important. Like I said, it's a case study on what we do, and uh, you know it just. I hate to use the word fascinating because lives are ruined and there's just such a dark side to this. But, um, you know, it's something that when you read it and you hear about it and you learn more about it, it's just shocking to see how bad it got. But yet no one was able to speak up.
0: Yeah, it will be fascinating to listen and um, hear the updates from the next. I think it's going to be a 13 week trial in in Palo Alto.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one.
0: I hope we can do another session on it. I appreciate you uh, wanting to talk about this, especially today, Ahmed. Um so where can we where can our listeners get more information?
1: Well, I would recommend looking into the book uh, from John Carrio. You can Google his article that he wrote for The Wall Street Journal or you can you can definitely go on to HBO. Bad Blood, I believe, is a documentary name. Very well done. It has Tyler. It has Erica. It has a lot of the uh, individuals that came forward it was a very well done documentary
0: and there's also um, a podcast called the dropout um, that i've been listening to every tuesday they are updating us with the latest events from a trial that's going on right now um so i'd highly recommend i highly recommend that but again this is you know really an example of what not to do in compliance which is our perspective um any final notes ahmed
1: uh, just enjoy. Please let us know your thoughts. Um, we always look for feedback. So please let us know if you have any topics you want us to discuss or if there's any, any recommendations or feedback you want to give us. And I know Dagmar, you wanted to uh, give a shout out to some folks.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Um, so I'd like to definitely thank my CEO, Dave Monaghan. Um, he's been sponsoring us to do this podcast for a couple of, or maybe it's like four years now. I don't thank him enough, but I definitely appreciate him to let us do this. It's a passion project. And Alex Verde, uh, who's our technical engineer, thank you for doing all of our editing. Really appreciate it. Um, Sometimes you make me sound like I'm really smart, so that feels nice. (laughs) Um, Do we need to thank anyone else? Your wife for giving us some ideas?
1: Yeah, my wife, and it sounds like uh, my baby Zachariah was quiet, so my wife, again, for kind of uh, calming him down. But, uh, no, we can't thank Dave and Alex enough and our listeners. Um, you know, obviously, this is a passion project. We're not at a million listens yet. I don't think that was really the goal, but we really just want to give an opportunity to kind of talk about what's going on in compliance. So please let us know. We have we are open to ideas and topics
0: thank you for listening to think compliance please join us for our next podcast you can reach out to us on twitter at think comply for questions comments etc you can also email us at info at join us for our next
1: podcast from wherever you get your podcasts thanks Ahmed. thanks dagmar